this journey has covered many more miles than the first. New cities are being reached with the gospel. Paul and Silas preached good news in Derby. In Lystra, a new believer is welcomed into this apostolic missions team. Now, Paul, Silas, and Timothy travel through the regions of Phrygia and Galatia. The next stop will be the province of Asia, but their plans are foiled. They find themselves now in the port city of Troas. At night, a man appears in a vision to the apostle Paul, the great apostle to the nations. He's a man of Macedonia, and he begs the apostle in this vision, come to Macedonia and help us. Europe was not on the itinerary. Macedonia was not in the plans, but the gospel cannot be contained. So the plans are immediately adjusted. God has called Paul, Silas, and Timothy to take the gospel to the Macedonian church. The next morning they set sail. They stop overnight in Samothrace before making it to Neapolis. Now the journey takes them to Philippi, the Roman colony, the the greatest city of the district. On the Sabbath, Paul goes down to the river looking for a a place of prayer where, where people might be gathered in worship, and he finds a group of women there. And he preaches the gospel to them, and one of the women, a a trader in fine purple linen, Lydia, hears the good news. She responds and is baptized. Later, on another trip to this place of prayer, the Apostle Paul is is accosted, confronted by a girl possessed by a demon spirit, and the, the miracle that takes place in her life causes chaos in the city. Paul and Silas are dragged into the marketplace to be confronted by the magistrates. They are thrown in an inner prison cell and locked in chains. But that does not dampen their joy. At midnight, they still, in prayer and song, are lifting their voices in praise to God when an earthquake sets them free. The jailer in Philippi assumes the worst. His prisoners have escaped. His life will be required. But instead of the worst night of his life, it is the best. For this is the night on which this jailer finds the good news of the gospel, that salvation Forgiveness is found in the name of Jesus Christ. Paul and Silas are released from prison, Roman citizens who shouldn't have been in stocks in the first place. But they are asked to leave the city. Their trip takes them through Amphipolis and Apollonia on their way to Thessalonica. Paul gathers in the synagogue and preaches from the scriptures that Jesus must have died, and he must have been raised. That was the, what the Old Testament had promised. And then he speaks to them. He announces good news to the church in Thessalonica, to the, or to the synagogue in Thessalonica. He says, this Jesus that I'm proclaiming to you, he is the Christ, the promised Messiah. And the Thessalonians believe. But some in the city are jealous. They form a mob They get on Twitter, and they create a riot in the city. Word quickly spreads such that the the man Jason, 
who had been housing Paul and Silas. He's, we know he's connected. They rush to his house. They drag him through the streets, bring him before the, the leaders of the city, and they say that, that Paul and Silas, they're defying Caesar. They're preaching another king, King Jesus. Jason is able to, to post bond to get out of prison, and he goes and he warns the apostle. And Paul and Silas, under cover of darkness, are led out of the city. The Macedonian mission. The gospel's arrival in Philippi and Thessalonica has been met with stiff, persistent resistance. Violent mobs in the city threatening the freedom of the apostle. Yet the power of the gospel is transforming hearts. The preachers face threats to their own lives, but the gospel cannot be contained. This is the description of the gospel coming to Macedonia, given to us by Luke in Acts chapter 16 and 17. The gospel is irresistible. It cannot be stopped. It's uncontainable. And God's grace transforms believers. And so that's the context of Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church. And so open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians. If you're using a Bible that's there for you in the pew, you can find this on page 1169. And I want you to have it open because I'm going to do something a little unusual as we launch this sermon series. I am going to read the entire letter this morning. All right, now there's a little bit of panic setting in because you're thinking, one, I don't think I have the, the stamina to listen to an entire book of the Bible to be read. Now, to be to be fair, this is one of the shorter of the New Testament letters, and so even though it comes to us in five chapters, you'll see that the total number of verses is short. In your Bible, it's probably only three pages. Now, that still is a longer scripture reading than you would normally get from us on a Sunday morning, but it's because I, I want us to remember that, that whatever sermon series we're going through, even if, we, even if we've, we, we're looking at only just a few short verses per week, we always interpret scripture in in light of the whole context. And so you have to understand the whole letter. And actually, Paul, in this letter, explicitly says, I charge you to make sure this letter is read to everyone in the church. And, and when we read the whole thing, you're going to see the power, the excitement that the gospel produces. There, there is a, an uncontainable joy that we see in the apostle, a, a confidence that he has, that even though this church only had apostolic teaching for, for a short period of time, the gospel is ringing out from their midst with great power. And when, when you hear the whole letter in, in context, the, the whole thing all at once, you'll also hear the, the pastoral love and care of the apostle, like a, a mother caring for her children, a, a father shepherding his family, is the picture of, of the work of the gospel here. And, and, I, and I also want you to be warned, I, I timed this out so I know how long it's going to take me, which means the rest of the sermon has taken this into consideration, all right? That there's not panic that, oh no, a really long sermon connected to a really long scripture introduction with a really long scripture reading. But it means to, to have a long scripture reading you need to be engaged with me. And so, so listen, as Paul describes the work of the gospel in transforming the lives of the believers 
in Thessalonica. I'm going to read Paul's letter, Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up our greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. So you hear in this passage, the, the excitement of the apostle for the work of the gospel in the lives of the Thessalonians, and yet he understands the persecution they face because of the persecution he experienced when he was there. And so he continues by describing his longing to hear how they're doing, a report of what's taking place in this young church. So we're back in chapter 2, verse 17. But brothers, 
when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You knew quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the, pleasance, in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. See, the excitement of the gospel, the encouragement of the report from Timothy, lets Paul know that the gospel is transforming this church. And so now Paul will turn his attention to give them specific instructions on, on living lives worthy of the gospel that they've received. They are to live in gospel holiness, and live with confidence that the persecutions they face are the persecutions we should all expect as we eagerly anticipate the promised return of Jesus. We'll continue chapter 4. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. We na now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you the holy, his Holy Spirit. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, 
or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, But let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And now, having encouraged them to stand firm in their faith, to live lives of holy obedience, even in the midst of persecution, Paul offers them final encouragement. These verses are packed with with wisdom and personal compassion from the apostle to the church. Chapter 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you, Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we rejoice in the power of your word. A word which comes to us not merely as as human words written on a page, but comes to us with the power of your spirit at work in our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that we would receive this word today as it really is the word of God. Lord, that we would hear the word, we would respond, we would come to you in faith, in hope, 
in love, with deep conviction in the truth of what you have done for us. Lord, we rejoice in the the unstoppable, irresistible power of the gospel and pray that that gospel would work itself into our lives, into our hearts, into our actions. Lord, I pray that you would make us a church that is fervent, excited, and passionate about proclaiming the gospel. Lord, may, may what was true of the church in Thessalonica be true for us, that the gospel would ring out throughout our region through our gospel proclamation. Lord, we pray for that work of the gospel in the churches that preach this good news here in our own community. Lord, we think of of our sister churches in our denomination. We pray for Pastor Will Stern, for Hope Presbyterian Church in Garnet Valley and Chad's Ford. Lord, as, as this young church has launched, I pray that it would go with the same gospel power and excitement that we've read in your word, that the gospel would be uncontainable. Lord, we pray this morning for Pastor Jim Brown, our, our assistant pastor here at Faith, who will serve this summer in Sydney, Nova Scotia. Lord, I pray for him even now as he's preparing to enter the pulpit and preach the first of these 12 weeks of, of summer interim ministry. Lord, strengthen this church. Lord, let the gospel ring out through their ministry. And so, Father in heaven, we come rejoicing in the power of the gospel. We come praying in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, it's important that we all know what time it is because that was the longest scripture introduction you have ever heard me give. But I think when you hear the whole of the, the, whole of the letter, you, you, you get this sense of the apostle's excitement that what he sees in the church in Thessalonica when, when you hear the word Thessalonians or Thessalonica, your only context of them is through this letter or the next letter which comes after it. Or, or, or maybe the descriptions that I, just, that I gave to you of, of what happens in Acts. But Paul is reminding us that this was a pagan people. And out of their, their idol worship, they now are worshiping the true God. See, the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, creates the church. I mean, think of the, the miracle. Just look back at verse 1. And, and so we're just going to spend a few minutes looking at these first five verses, really setting the stage for, for this summer sermon series as we look at the, the irresistible church, the church in which the gospel is at work. And, and look, look, at, look back at verse 1. Even just this introductory formula, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the miracle of the gospel in Paul, Silas, and Timothy's lives. Paul, the persecutor of the church, is now praying fervently for the work of the gospel. He is now the one taking the gospel from, it, from its, its roots in Asia, now having crossed into Europe as the gospel spreads throughout the world. He has this passionate desire for the gospel to, to transform. Timothy, we don't, we don't know as much about Silas. He's mentioned in, in Paul's letters. We, we capture glimpses of him in, in the book of Acts. But, but Timothy, we know, is a, is a man whose father didn't believe the gospel. But his grandmother, his mother, taught him the truths of God's love. And so he joins this gospel mission. And then we see the, the transforming power of the gospel creating the church. Look at verse 5. Because the gospel came to the church in Thessalonica, not simply with words, but also with power. 
The transforming power of God is what is necessary to take someone out of their, their sinful worship of idols to follow after the true God. That's, that's what we read in, in verse 9, that they have turned from God, turned to God from idols. The power of God at work in the preaching of the gospel, the proclamation of the message. And, we, and when we describe the proclamation, the, the evangelism of the early church, yes, it sometimes meant a a dedicated minister of the gospel, one who has been set apart with prayer, preaching the gospel. But, but you see throughout this letter that it's really the ministry of the, the message ringing out from the lives of the Christian believers. Gospel proclamation is not simply the responsibility of the one who stands behind a pulpit, but the one who walks through the streets of everyday life. The gospel creates the church. It came to them, verse 5, with power and with the Holy Spirit. It's the radical, miraculous message that comes to us from God, with God's power, His Spirit at work. And then it was rooted in their lives, verse 5 tells us, with deep conviction. Just as fervently as they chased after their, their former dreams and hopes, they now long for the gospel. Because the gospel creates the church, because the gospel transforms the believer. I mean, Paul begins this letter with the, the simple introduction. It, much, makes much more sense in ancient letters that the first thing you see is who it's from. In our modern letters, you have to flip all the way to the, the end, although I guess the good news is you don't get many letters, and so the, the two-line in your email or electronic communication tells you who it is. But, but we start with, who is it from? Then it's to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul offers this, this simple introduction. This is the simplest these opening verses of, of all of the introductions in Paul's letters. Because there's an immediacy with which he's writing to them. It's been mere months, maybe even just weeks, since he last saw them. But it's also because they know his message. The church wasn't rejecting his apostolic authority, and so he writes with these simple words, grace and peace to you. Now, every letter in the ancient world would begin with some simple greeting. But Paul has transformed even the simple greeting into a message of the gospel. Grace comes to you. The unmerited, undeserved love of God belongs to you. Peace. Peace with God is yours, church. I mean, and, and so it might be, I mean, what are, what are the ordinary ways that you and I would have to transform the gospel into, into ordinary conversations? How about, what do people say when, when they first meet you? or, or they, they pass by you, even in casual context. How you doing? How are you? And what's the appropriate response? Okay, the only appropriate response is good or fine. You're not supposed to say anything else, right? Because that's, it, it, this wasn't an actual question. This was simply a, I'm acknowledging your presence. What if you then, rather than just said fine, gave some kind of gospel answer? Could be something witty if you want to try and get the, better than I deserve. How are you doing? Better than I deserve. And so it becomes a, if somebody asks, well, why would you describe it that way? Because I'm a sinner saved by grace. I deserve nothing but the wrath of God, and yet here is the mercy of God. Now, some of you might think there's no way I'm, I'm ever going to say that because that would make me look like a fool. So what if you just answer the question then, honestly, how are you doing? Struggle through the daily realities of life, and yet I have a persevering hope. 
Well, that might prompt a question, because that's a little more than just fine. Do you see what, what Paul is doing here? Even in this introductory formula is he's taking what you would expect to read at the beginning of the letter, greetings to you, and he turns it into a gospel proclamation, grace and peace to you. See, the gospel transforms the lives of the believer so that Paul is, is look at verse 2, always giving thanks to God for the work of the gospel in the lives of this church. Paul, the one whose life was dedicated to destroying the church, is now committed night and day to praying for the church. Whether in chains and in prison or, or in freedom preaching the gospel, Paul is committed to the, the, the joy of the gospel because he sees the gospel transforming this church. He describes them as, as the message, the joy that that he has. But notice then in verse 3 what Paul is is remembering, giving thanks to God for. It's for the faith, love, and hope he sees at work in the church. I mean, this is the the, the triad of of the active Christian virtues of of, of life. Faith, love, and hope. That's what the church has because of the gospel. But, but notice how he describes these are, these are active Christian virtues. Yes, they are gifts we received from God, but, but, but look again at verse 3, where Paul pr- says, We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel transforms the life of the believer that having received these gifts from God, they now are, are actively engaged in life. And this, isn't, this, this doesn't undermine grace at all. This is actually grace in action. Grace is, is the gift of God. There is nothing we can do to deserve God's favor. And yet, when we receive grace, what does it look like? It looks like work and labor and endurance. We're active in our faith. And, and so if you, if you want to understand how... How do I continue today when life is such a struggle? And and that's an important question for us to ask culturally. When when the names of some of the most famous and successful people in our culture have, have, have no hope. See, what does it look like to weather the trials of life, as one commentator says? It is work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only the gospel that can get you through today. Anything else is actually diverting your attention back to the idols of your life, to to worship of something else. And and notice that, that the gospel creates the church. The gospel transforms the believer because the gospel flows from God himself. The description in verse 1, that this is the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the church in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an unusual description to to say in God. We regularly, through Paul's letters, hear the description that we are found in Christ, that we are united to him by faith. But, But this description, that we are the church, is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God is the source. God is the power. God is the hope for the church. And and notice here, even here, even just this little grammatical marker back in verse 1, the same preposition is applied to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ all together. They are in the same category. From the very beginning of the Christian church, Jesus Christ has been declared 
to be God himself. And, and, and that's even more explicitly made clear just in the title given to him. He is the Lord. He is Yahweh, God himself. The divinity of Christ, the truth of, of his work, was not something created generations later by the church. This is like the truth which prompted the church's beginning. Without the reality of Jesus as Lord, there is no church. And then as we see in verse 4, the, the gospel flows from God himself because we are those who are loved by God. God has chosen you. See, this doctrine of God's divine election of his people, not because of anything good in us, but merely because he loves us. This is not meant to, to just push us immediately into theological debate. No, what, what is it meant to do? It's meant to give us encouragement. This is what gives us endurance, that we are loved by God. He has chosen us. There is no other way. And so, yes, the, the Christian gospel is an exclusive truth claim. There is no other hope. There is no other way to be saved except through the choosing power of God, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, through the ministry of Jesus Christ. But it is, it is an ex exclusivity rooted in love, the love of God on display for the nations, even for Thessalonians. The gospel for us. Will you respond to this gospel message today? The gospel creates the church, transforms the believers because the gospel is given to us by God himself. Brothers and sisters, you are the beloved of God, chosen by God. The gospel brings grace and peace to you. The gospel offers you faith, love, and hope. Receive now this gospel in the power of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let this gospel message ring forth from your life and from this church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we rejoice in the power of your gospel. A gospel which transformed the lives of Paul and Silas and Timothy so that they would risk their very lives for the sake of your kingdom, announcing the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Lord. And so, Father in heaven, I pray that you would let that gospel work in our hearts, that we, having heard your word, would respond by faith, we would respond in love. We would respond with hope. And so, so, Father, give us the hope which will produce endurance in us, the love which will, which will show itself forth in compassion to one another and in gospel proclamation to a needy world. Lord, give us faith to believe. Lord, for those that hear this message and have not responded, let them do so now responding by faith, faith in the gospel in the hope which is given to us in Jesus Christ. And so we pray in his name. Amen.